Dee Dee Moonflyer here. Welcome to the Twilight Tonic Podcast. As always, I have a freshly brewed batch of the strange and unusual to share with you. So grab your favorite tonic, step inside the broom closet, and let's get started. Tonight on Twilight Tonic, I'm going to welcome to my broom closet, Father Sebastian. How are you? I'm well. And you? I'm fantastic. I would like you to tell my audience exactly what you do. You are an ex- I, I don't even know how to describe you. It's amazing. I fa- actually saw you on Facebook, Father. And you sparked my interest right away on vampires. Can you tell me a little bit about your research and what you've done? Well, I um, entered the vampire community in 2000, no, sorry, 1991. My mother was with it. My mother was telling me about Tom Cruise becoming a vampire and losing weight for a movie called Interview with the Vampire. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by it. Oh, it's a beautiful movie. Yes. And, and I um, fell in love with uh, so I my, remember my mother telling me that but I never saw I never got down and read the book mm-hmm. I had a, uh, a revelation I had dreams of vampires but there's some secret stuff that I really can't get into publicly of course and uh, I encountered a coven of vampires in Woodbridge New Jersey oh <laughs> <laughs> hey, who'd <would> and <laughs> yeah, and uh, they uh, they introduced me to uh, a thing beyond a role playing game, mm-hmm. and I did the two sides. I did the lifestyler and I did the magical vampire thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the first thing was the adventure into the role playing game, Vampire the Masquerade. Because yes. I went looking for people that identified as vampires. So Vampire the Masquerade is the third great mythology. What we what we have to do is we gotta look at the envelope of what of the sphere of the current of what I've attached my life to. Mm-hmm. The first thing is is that the vampire, vampire with a Y, is a sacred word for the vampire culture. It's controversial, but it's undeniably the the initiator of the modern vampire era. Okay. Now, John Palladori, 
was a gay man and he entered a competition with a, uh, the same competition a woman named Mary Shelley mm-hmm. put herself into. And he wrote a short story called The Vampire about a vampire named Lord Rutherford. And Lord Rutherford was a bastard and he was a rock star. Mm-hmm. And he was based on, and he, I think he submitted the article, the story of the vampire under the name Lord Byron. And before there was rock stars, there was Lord Byron. Uh, Lord Byron was an eccentric, uh, undoubtedly queer man who hurt John Palladori's heart horribly. And as a as a gay vengeance tactic, he wrote the vampire story about Lord Ruthven too, and then attributed it to Lord Byron's credit. <laughs> and what was unique about Lord Ruthven was he was a human that became a vampire. Mm-hmm. Before this, vampires were demons and succubuses and 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 um, uh, zombie-like creatures that would hunt their family and come out of the grave. The vampire did not have an aristocratic concept. It wasn't a uh, person that lived and could talk to you and, and walk amongst humans. That was the magic of Lord Rutherford. Uh. And Mary Shelley went on to write Prometheus. I think that won the, the competition. But what that did was it made the vampire rock star begin. Okay. And through the 19th century, there was the Victorian vampire era. There was not one, four vampire theaters in Paris. Okay. Really? Yes. That's amazing. There was not one, but there was three major vampires that came after Lord Rutherford. First was Barney the vampire. The second was... Carmilla, the vampire, mm-hmm. Carmilla Karnstein. Mm-hmm. And then the third was a vampire named Dracula, mm. which took all the tw- all the 19th century lore and put it together into this one immortal character, which became the accumulation of the entire vampire mythos. Mm-hmm. The king of the vampires himself, Dracula, Vlad Tepesh, Vlad Tepesh. Mm. That was the first great vampire myth. Okay, it was a modern Western myth. Okay. Okay. And what was unique about this vampire is you could become the vampire. Mm. Wow. Gotcha. All right. Anybody can become a vampire. Of course, Anne Rice then brought the mythology to the next level. She was the second great contributor to the vampire mythos. Mm -hmm. She brought in in 1975, she brought an interview with the vampire which was a homoerotic theatrical vampire. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then finally, it all got capped off with Vampire, the Masquerade, the role-playing game. Uh, I remember okay. that game well. <laughs> yes. And in between 91 and 95 was its height. Okay. Because it was still underground and people would play the LARP in nightclubs. Yes. And that's how I, I was there for that era. I was <laughs> there at <laughs> the beginning of that. But in the background, I was practicing a vampire religion called Strigabai. Oh, interesting. Really? Okay. Yes. It means living vampiric witch. So it's a tradition of witchcraft. It's very pagan. Um, but I'll get into that in a minute. Okay. Okay. So what happened was, I'm a kid, I was living in New Jersey at the time, my mm-hmm. grandfather was an orthodontist, and my girlfriend went to me, Sebastian, mm-hmm. 
I'm like, yes, Dawn. She's like, I want to go to the prom as vampires. You know vampires from the role-playing game. And I'm like, all right. So we started going to the LARPs in the New York City vampire clubs. Mm-hmm. At the bank in the limelight. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And I watched the birth of the third great vampire myth. The third great incarnation of the vampire Western mythos. Mark Ryan Hagen's role-playing game, Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> and what Vampire the Masquerade did was took all the vampire legends and tied them together. Mm-hmm. And then amplified them on crack about tenfold. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. It created the conspiracy of the Camarilla and the Masquerade. Okay, the Camarilla was the community, the society, <laughs> the conspiracy, the Masquerade was the law. And vampires pretending to be humans pretending to be vampires, okay, was introduced in Anne Rice's book, you know, about the vampire, Interview with the Vampire, Mm -hmm. about the vampire theater. So this immense new, and you know what's really cool? I mean, I was the kind of kid that was in Stranger Stranger Things. Yes. Okay, playing D&D around the table with my dorky friends when I was nine or ten. I totally understand that. Absolutely. And one thing that I always remembered was getting beaten up for playing D&D, thrown in garbage <laughs> cans, rejected by women. Aww. And what Vampire the Masquerade did was something really unique. <laughs> it, there was women that were actually playing. Well, yeah. Well, you, trust me, it would be social death for you to play a LARP or a role-playing game back in the 90s, <laughs> up until the 90s. If you played... I, I remember girls would be like, ew, you D&D geeks, okay, in high school. Now today, all the girls are playing and the suicide girls are doing it and everything sure. like that. Sure, yes. But it was social death for a woman <laughs> to play a role-playing game unless it was her older brother. I mean, there was no girls. Right. Okay. And that wasn't because we, we didn't want them. Of course we wanted them to play. <laughs> and we were like, come on down. And Vampire the Masquerade changed that for the role-playing game. So Vampire the Masquerade created that clans of vampires, created the family structure for vampires, created the werewolf or vampire mythology. Mm-hmm. Okay. It transformed the vampire genre. Blade, mm. True Blood, mm-hmm. Twilight, um, Underworld. Underworld got sued by the publisher of Vampire the Masquerade and they lost. Really? I okay. didn't realize that. Under- well, Underworld is a direct ripoff of Vampire the Masquerade. I guess it is. You're right. Yeah, you can't go against Marvel, but you can go against Universal. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So from 91 to 95, I was playing Vampire the Masquerade role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. But the problem was, is my girlfriend, Luciana, uh, Dawn Dawn sadly passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, she was my perfect werewolf vampire witch girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, she was a gypsy-esque Mm-hmm. Not in a derogatory term, but like, you know, Stevie Nicks style. Yes. Um, and uh, she was she was very pagan. She was into shape-shifting and vampirism, and and uh, she loved the fangs Aww. and velvet and purple velvet dresses. Oh, she loved it. Oh, I'm so sorry so, for your loss. Yeah, but after Dawn passed away, I started making fangs. Because I was working in a shoe store in New Jersey called Wild Pear. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. And 
all the club kids would come in and get things or would come in and get shoes before they went to the clubs. Mm-hmm. And the one this and I saw the Michael Alec thing on Donahue. All right. Mm-hmm. And Michael Alec was a club promoter that the movie Party Monsters based on. Right. So I wanted to run vampire masquerade games in the back rooms of this club. So what I did was I um, went one night, a promoter, a guy came in with a girl under each arm. He goes, do you got a fax machine? And that fax machine I should put in a museum someday because every night he came by and faxed his guest list into the limelight. And I put my name on the guest list and I got to go to the limelight Mm -hmm. and the people behind the limelight, which were a bunch of Colombian drug lords, kids, uh, um, who went to NYU that were given the job of working in a nightclub and we played D&D in the back rooms. That's awesome. So they were like fascinated by a role of vampire LARP that could happen inside of a nightclub. Mm-hmm. And we went to the limelight, the legendary limelight. <laughs> and I, that place is the most haunted location I've ever visited. I'll tell oh, you. I bet. There's a lot of stuff that went down there, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Of course it would be. I guess the, in- the energy is... Yes. And one of the promoters named Michael Alec was a very um, interesting person because mm-hmm. what happened was is on the 7th, it was a Thursday night, the 17th of August, 1995, mm-hmm. I walked into the back room to have a cigarette out of the office and Michael Alex walks down, walked down the stairs and I go into, and this is the first time I've ever told this on a podcast. Oh, wow. I, I, I go into the back room to have a cigarette up in mm-hmm. the cloister. And there was a, there was a, uh, a an entrance to the deck, the okay. main deck. And I'll tell you something. What happened was, I saw it, an orb of shadows sitting there whispering off this subconscious, like telepathy is not this, it's voices inside your head. It's whispers from beyond. Okay. And I, it told me that you would be the father of the vampire world and you would lead the vampires into the light and in its own way. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And that I would establish a vampire culture. And what that would be like is my own determination. Mm -hmm. And that my time with the vampire game was over because I was looking, I would do vampiric rituals Mm -hmm. inside the LARP that were actually Mm -hmm. real rituals. And the Mm -hmm. owner of the club would come up to me and go, Hey, are you doing satanic rituals in my club? And I'm like, no, I'm playing a LARP. (laughs) (laughs) you're like just vampire rituals that's all it's okay no i told them they were role-playing games oh okay all right and he was like okay sure and he would walk by i'd be like sit there in a black robe with a knife you know like an athame all right with an altar in the middle of the nightclub (laughs) and you ever seen the movie as above so below yes of course. Okay, you know those people that were doing the rituals in the caves, in the catacombs? Yes. That was me. In the limelight. <laughs> and in the catacombs. 
Wow. So, so what happened was everything started unfolding. Mm-hmm. I got invited to the New Orleans Vampire Ball, uh, the awesome. Memnock Ball. Mm-hmm. Okay. I went to Anne Rice's major, major event in 1995. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Well, her greatest achievement was that ball. Mm. She's, she's a very nice lady. I got, she I had is. the honor once and she was just lovely the entire time. Fascinating and lovely. Mm-hmm. Very, very gracious lady. Yes, I agree. But what happened was, um, I founded the New York Vampire Subculture. I started making things, mm-hmm. and I established what we call Gotham Halo. And a Gotham Halo is is like calling um, the New York the Big Apple. Mm-hmm. Okay, Halo is the energy spirit around the city. Okay, okay. and. I, I founded 20, I named and consecrated 27 halos, and that night Gotham Halo was consecrated. Mm. And the, the, the mission that was given to me was said that when you're 45, you will find out the truth of what, what this, and it spoke a word of power to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever re- repeat the word of power right now. Okay. But this word started a new aeon a new era for the vampires very much like in true blood where vampires could go public. Right. Mm, yes. The, the, from 1995, which was the catalyst year vampires became something that you could be. Right. You notice all of the, the vampire culture was like really started people identifying as vampires. Cause people Absolutely, would play the vampire. Yeah. The LARP was a transition into that. Yes, I remember that quite well, actually. But there was people that wanted to practice vampirism as a lifestyle and a magical practice. Mm-hmm. And the Vampire of the Masquerade was a perfect front for that. Oh, okay. I, that, Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yes, absolutely. So, the Vampire of the Masquerade created... An incredible, 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 incredible environment where this vampire subculture could be born. It was the embryo of the metamorphosis of the vampire legends and myths and mythology into a tangible form where people can identify as vampires. Right. So I set out with the vampire with a Y to determine the distance from the role playing game. Mm -hmm. And I started the vampiric Aeon that we're in now and we go forth in public and um i created gotham halo mm-hmm. and i opened a nightclub called long black veil oh awesome and, which the the legendary black veils come from the original black veils come from there and I founded the Order of Strigavai, which is an order of vampires that's practice a pagan vampiric tradition of witchcraft called that, Strigavai. That's very interesting. Can you do Sure. The primary text is called the Sanguinomicon. Mm-hmm. The lay members things are the Black Veils, which a lot of the vampire culture bases itself on. Okay. And it identifies with using words of power to empower individuals using the vampire archetype. But Strigavai is you, you got to read Sanguinomicon to understand it. 
Right. And its sequel book, Vampire Magic. Which both you wrote a book on that, books, didn't you? Absolutely. I have three three main books. Oh yeah. Black Veils, yep. Sanguinomicon, and Vampire Magic. Yep. And they can get those they can get those on your website and Amazon, correct? Yes. Um the Kindle and the hardcover version of Black Veils comes out September first. That's awesome. And that will be a revised edition. The master edition is the uh, current copy that um, is available on my website. And it's okay. exclusively on my website. Because I want to have a name amazing. in it. You've done some amazing stuff with writing. Thank you. I, I like to change people's lives for the better. Absolutely. And so, So between 95 and 97, I put the first Black Veils together. Mm-hmm. And then I ran, I was the vampire king of New York for five years um, without using the title. I never called myself king, of course. <laughs> um, but it was like, you know, I ran all the vampire clubs and I had mm-hmm. opposing vampire clubs and everything like that. It was pretty fun. <laughs> and then 9-11 happened uh. and New York went through its era. The 90s were the renaissance of the vampire renaissance. Yes. From 95 to 2000. That was the era. And I founded two courts in New York, the court of Gotham and the Mm -hmm. court of Lazarus, Mm -hmm. both courts that I founded Two very different archetypes. Lazarus is more of a ritualistic environment and like Salon Noir Mm -hmm. and um, Gotham is more of like a town hall for vampires. And... The um, the vampire community in New York is my child. Oh. Do, do you visit them often? Forward. I do. I do. It's it's kind of changed now. My my life is in L.A. Oh. Um, and I travel quite a bit. You just recently went to Paris, Paris, correct? Yes. I, I lived in Paris for eight years. So um, in the timeline of things... I was in New York until 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, Things weren't going the way that I was comfortable with. So I decided I wanted to change. So I flew -hmm. everything out and emptied my life and flew to Germany. Wow. And ended up in Amsterdam for three years. um, Learning at the uh, Church of Satan. I lived inside the Church of Satan, the Kirk von Satten of Amsterdam. Wow. Um, And I learned and I founded the Order of Sturgevai there with my mentor, Mael. Mm-hmm. Now, so I've had several mentors. Mm-hmm. That first coven I told you about was, um, his name was Dimitri. Uh-huh. Then I had um, a one one called Rose. And then, but Mael was my primary tutor. She was my, um, I've been, I've been raised by wolves, if you want to say so. Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, my mentor, her name was Mael. Or uh-huh. Valeria Alexander, and she was my magic mentor, uh-huh. and she would call me all my all my bullshit, which was very wonderful. <laughs> and she kept it real, and she was a fashion designer, an Italian witch that lived in Vegas. Uh, sorry, lived in uh, Amsterdam. Oh, okay. And I I studied with her for three years straight, directly, but um, she sadly passed away in 2019 uh, from cancer. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 
That's hard. Yes. It's very difficult. But she she lives in my memory and she's the co-founder of the Order of Sturgabai. Mm-hmm. And we started a, a school for vampires. Um and um it was really, really amazing. And then I moved to Paris in 2007 mm-hmm. from Amsterdam. So I lived in Europe for about 12, 13 years. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. I got to go explore the catacombs and mm. make things at all the music festivals and all the different locations. It's probably it was awesome. just beautiful there. Yeah. So uh, as you can imagine, I have a lot of friends. Oh, well, yes. In, through your travels and what you do. I would, yeah, I could definitely see that. So I went to, uh, back to France for the first time in two years since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it was so lovely to see all my friends and hang out. And oh, I bet. Spend time with people. It's definitely usually, been a hard year, hasn't it? With that, with the pandemic. Yes. So tell my audience and me as well, because I'm very familiar with paganism, what you developed. Describe what a ritual would be. What would they expect if they came and joined your form of paganism? Well, it's not my form of paganism. It's it's pagan-like. Okay. Okay. Um, it would, a lot would be familiar. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't use the word uh, athame. We use the original word, which is called arthana. Uh-huh. Sounds like a metal band. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a French word called black-hilted double-bladed knife. Um, and our initiation system is based on a, a perspective called day side, night side, twilight. Okay. And the day side is this experience of the five senses, math, reason, paying your taxes, doing everything mm-hmm. as a mundane person and how to master the mundane reality. Okay. The next is the night side, which is the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is the astral and dreaming and meditation and, mm-hmm. and astral projection. And then the third is the twilight, the equilibrium between the two. So a vampire who is an adept, okay, adeptus, has mastered the day side, twilight, mastered the day side, night side, and come into twilight. Okay. And they pass trials. And that's really the initiation that I promote in Sturgabai because it's um, it's first, second, third degree. Okay. okay. But everybody's goal is to become an adept. Okay. That's a fully mature vampire. Okay. And he pass what writes a passage called ordeals, which is day side, night side, twilight. And I consider a vampire in the Strigovai perspective very distinct from blood drinkers and psychic vampires. Okay, those are both both very different from what you practice, correct? Very different. Because okay. vampirism, the way I practice it, living vampirism deals with life force. Right. And empa- self-empowerment and deification of the individual. Okay. And then okay, some of the so vampires what- can drain your energy, correct? Well, we drain energy, but we do it with a code of honor. Okay, we have an ethical system to it. Okay, we don't, you know, and that's like, I mean, we can drink blood and get energy from it, but it, mm-hmm. it's really, that's too risky. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I can imagine. We, we, humans radiate energy like a radiator or a battery and we take the excess energy. Okay. 
so the um the idea here okay is that what we want to do is break the cycle of reincarnation escape the mortal coil because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand that the mind body and spirit are three parts of the whole thing but the mind and the body are temporary we call them the body the vessel mm-hmm. the ba or the identity of the individual according to egyptian mythology the ba which mm-hmm. is your personality right. that you ex- experience in this life and then the ka is the essence of someone their soul mm-hmm. okay the ka is immortal in our theology but the ba and the vessel are not Okay, so human reincarnation believes that your ka is reincarnated, but your ba is not. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Your your mind is not reincarnated. And a lot of people ask me, why, what is that called? And I'm like, that's the second death. The death of the personality, the identity of the person doesn't Mm -hmm. continue into the second life. The most traumatic thing you have that erases the past life and the most traumatic experience you have in life is birth. Yes. You're in this womb, astral projecting, floating through the universe, and have everything taken care of. It's all you know. And then you get this tra- trauma that deletes your past life experience. Mm-hmm. Anything that's left over is deleted. Right. So you basically are born with Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's very true. To give your car a new start to experience a new thing. Okay. So I have past life regressions. They're not me. They're different bars, same ka. Right. Huh. My essence is the same. Like, I remember being a black woman who was doing laundry in the swamp. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. In 1822. I could smell it. I could be there. I could, it's just as clear as a, it's a surviving memory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have other past lives that I have bits and pieces of, but I've never really pursued them because they're not necessary. Wow. I want this ba to be immortal. Okay. So, so humans think reincarnation is your, your cause going to be reincarnated, which is true. That just moves on. But the ba is what you want to preserve mm-hmm. the identity of the self. All right. And you want an eternity to be able to succeed. So, does that mean your physical body will li- live on? No. The physical body, the- I mean, there's different. Ancient Egypt, the ancient Egyptian culture was all about that. Right. Okay. <clears throat> interesting. That's very interesting. So, no. with that being... But paganism. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But in paganism and Wicca and everything like that, they mm-hmm. have similar reincarnation spells. If you read any pagan book, you'll see a lot of similarities with Sugar Absolutely. Bayan. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You too. Very true. Do, um, out of curiosity, you have talked about people that do drink blood and you have a name for them. What is that name? Well, it's not my name for them. It's what they call themselves. They call themselves sanguinarian vampires. Okay. Which means, isn't that like a Latin word for blood? Yes. Sanguine is blood and blood. And how do they... 
out of curiosity, do they have many people they drink blood from, or do they usually have so, a significant other? A they do less this. Than you think. There's a lot less than you think. Okay. All right. There's there's not as many vampires that drink blood as you, as you um, believe. Okay. Okay. Um, blood drinking is actually a very rare phenomenon. There are notable sanguine vampires, but they're not as common. It's not the practice is not as common. Gotcha. Like you don't go to a vampire club and see a bunch of people drinking blood. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So like the average person that has never read or seen anything like this, that's probably what they would believe if they went into that club. They'd probably believe yeah. that they would be <laughs> bitten. Well, you know how many times a week I get girls and occasionally guys asking me to bite them? You're kidding, right? <laughs> I am not kidding. I have so many people coming to me to fulfill their vampire fetishes. And, <laughs> um, you know, you know, I'm not laughing. Sometimes it sounds so funny to go up to somebody you don't know. Will you bite me? Well, they do believe they know me. Oh, wow. See me on TV or or, some, or on, on YouTube or something like that. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and Father Sebastian, just out of curiosity. Well, it depends on, you know, I, if they court me and they feel good and they're safe <laughs> and they give a blood test and everything like that. I, I've, I've been known to indulge. But what do you expect when you come hang out with a vampire? If oh, you that's ask true. to get bitten. And, <laughs> you and probably might, right? <laughs> and, and it's a good environment. It's a good situation. I'll consider it. <laughs> All right. But I got to be really careful in this new era. Yes. You know? Absolutely. You know, but, you know, buyer's regret is a difficult thing, but it's always on the person because they, mm. I never bite anybody unless they ask me. <laughs> I don't believe <laughs> Out of out of curiosity, what is the most interesting you've seen in your career? The unrice vampire, the stat ball, the oh. knock ball in nineteen ninety five. Oh. I got there. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. <laughs> the vampire has been a big part of my life. I got to the front door, mm -hmm. and it was locked. The gates were locked in the court the to the um the courtyard. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, uh, the gates were locked to the courtyard and the, uh, and rice was nowhere to be seen. And then out of the, around the corner came a horse drawn curse pulled up right in front of the gates mm -hmm. and these ushers pulled out a, um, pulled out a coffin Mm -hmm. Plopped it up against the thing and opened the coffin, and her, like five thousand of her fans were there that were lucky enough to get tickets, mm -hmm. and everybody went bad shit. Ah, oh, Tan Rice coming out of the coffin. Did she really? The coffin. Yeah. <laughs> then the second coffin was pulled out, and it was cursed and dunced. Oh, how wonderful! And they greeted every guest that walked in that event, and that oh. event was at Saint Elizabeth's in the Garden District, and it was the most magical weekend because. First of all, there's no way to get tickets to this event. You had to be a member of the fan club or know somebody. Mm -hmm. And I, I met a girl who invited me to be her date. And it was fucking incredible. Well, yeah. And not to mention the Garden District is so beautiful. 
It's phenomenal. It's beautiful. I can't believe you got to go to that. So what else happened that evening? So um, you had you got to meet her, and was it just a beautiful setting all around? Yeah. Mm. It was gorgeous. It was phenomenal. Envy. I'm envious. That would have been phenomenal. So, Father Sebastian, let's talk about how you make the major part of your living. I know you've written books. You've been on TV, obviously. You have a YouTube channel. You've done such incredible stuff. Fascinates me is what you do to teeth. Oh, yes. I'm a dental technician. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I make... I'm a fangsmith. So my first job is as a fangsmith. That's awesome. And I'm, I make very simple vampire fangs for people who want. And I call my fans, my fang fans, saber tooths. Mm-hmm. So it's a family and there's a lot of, there's thousands of members around the world. And it's really good to see the best part of it is when you see saber tooths clicking on, Hey, it's my birthday. Hey, I got married. Hey, I, I graduated college. Hey, I, uh, my band played its first show. Mm-hmm. People that don't never met except by having one thing in common, my hands were in their mouth. Mm-hmm. All right. Come together. And now as of Wednesday, I've stopped making things in person. Uh, what? Yes. You're, Unless it's what? a very special person. Well, COVID is a danger in this yes, it is. variant. Yes. So what I'm doing is I'm making 3D printed things. That's awesome. That is awesome. You order an impression kit or send a mold in. Mm-hmm. All right. And you bite into the mold. Like if you're getting a grill or a denture. Mm-hmm. And you mail it in. And I have my dental technicians from scans of my fangs. Mm-hmm. So the fangs are actually scans of my actual things oh wow okay in a 3d cad so you're getting my teeth wow that's customized for you amazing thank you that is like just cool <laughs> wow <laughs> who would figure that is just so awesome so thank you wow how for this Amazing. Um, they go to sabertooth.com or fathersebastian.com. Yes. Absolutely. And name all of your books that you've written, and they can get them on Amazon and Father Sebastian on your website. Yeah, you can go to everything to Father Sebastian with two A's, I-A-A-N. Mm-hmm. And you can get you know, Sanguinomicon. It's my mm-hmm. magnum opus. That's awesome. My hardcore book. I didn't. I swear to God I didn't write it. I channeled it. Uh, um. Then there's Vampire Magic, which is the sequel. A lot of people think Vampire Magic is done an independent book, but it's actually mm-hmm. the third book in the Sanguinomicon. Sanguinomicon is book one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, the second half of book three is in Vampire Magic. That is awesome. Now, you talk about Vampire Magic. Do you have any particular holidays that in your form of magic that you we've created our own new okay so vampires traditionally are on the dark side of things so yes may 1st is our big sacred holiday 
Okay. And we call it Walpurgis Nacht. Oh. Okay. And it's it's the night of fire and demons and witches' sabbaths and drum circles and fire pits and mm-hmm. and orgies and and magic and traversing from this world into the other world. Okay. And that is that is May first. Okay. The Celtics have a, a holiday on the same day. Yes. Called Beltane. The Beltane, absolutely. So it's really cool to go through Salem and go happy Walpurgisnacht. And all of us witches look at you like, what? <laughs> What's that? And yeah. I go, that's today. And let's go dance with the let's go dance with the devil as this coven of witches. And what do they and say? Have an orgy. Oh. Go, we do the orgies, but we don't worship the devil, we worship the horn god. I'm like, I know the legend. <laughs> okay. But let's celebrate well Pergishnacht. So one of my initiates came up with the term. Well, Pergerstein. Mm-hmm. So we we we've kind of reinvented that holiday. Well, Pergerstein. Okay. Valentine's Day is a bigger day. And um, what do you call that one? Crimson Festival. Crimson Festival. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Halloween's just an all-out party because <laughs> we can take it. We can let our fangs out. Absolutely. And I then, can um. The day usually you do your initiate, the day you get turned, mm-hmm. which is not not necessarily the day you, you get bitten and turned into a vampire. It's, it's a turning point. Right. And the most common turning point for a lot of people is when they get their fangs. Ah. Uh, gotcha. Now that is, this is very interesting. Wow. Well, Father Sebastian, I have really enjoyed this interview and talking to you. My pleasure. And hopefully maybe one day our paths will cross. Maybe in New Orleans or Salem. Oh, I'm heading to Salem probably in about four months. What's going on? Well, my mother passed away in 2019. My condolences. And she was a dear woman. And she, when I was young, there was no paranormal. It was just normal in our household. And... She um, wanted her ashes spread on my brother's grave, but the other, after bring to Salem and put it in the ocean. <laughs> so I was like, wow, mom, that's not easy. COVID happened and I have not been able to get to that part of the country yet. So hopefully in about three to four months, I'll be there. So if you happen, know, and our paths will cross. I'll buy you I'll a be down the 16th. Um, I, I don't invite alcohol, but I take Heineken Zero. Okay. I've been Absolutely. sober for 10 years. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. I'm very happy with that. Well, it has been a absolute pleasure talking to you. And like I said, I hope our paths will cross in this lifetime. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You have, have a, a lovely day. You too. You have a fantastic night.